0: Good morning. morning. It's great to see all of you. (laughs) Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, you tell us when two or more are gathered in your name that you will be there. So Lord, we qualify today. We're a little bit light, but we ask for those that are not feeling well, those that could not make it today, that they be, that they, that you watch over them if they are ill and if they couldn't be here for whatever reason that they're here in spirit. And Lord, may we always learn more about you. May we, may we see your light more clearly. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship our Lord.
1: All I got to say is little as much when God is in it. So amen for our small gathering today. Um, and then with that, his presence is with us. God's presence. I am with you always to the very end of the age. These words are Christ's promises to his, all his disciples and they were a promise that was marvelously inclusive. No situation is excluded. No challenge is omitted. There was a gentleman that uh, paraphrased it this way, I am with you all the days, all day long. That means we can count on Christ's presence not only every day, but every moment of every day. Of the fact of his presence, there is no doubt that his word cannot fail. What we need is to cultivate that sense of his presence every day, every hour, and every moment. This happens when we speak to him in worship and prayer. And we listen to him speak to us through his word, the Bible. The hope for today, God's presence means that you will never face anything alone. He is with you in the valley and marches with you into battle. It's never against the world or our nation. It's you are one with the one who overcame the world.
2: Jesus walked this lonesome valley. Mm -hmm. Jesus walked this lonesome valley. He had to walk it by himself. Oh, nobody else could walk it for him. He had to walk. Don't walk it by ourselves. Exalted, the king is exalted.
3: Testament scripture today comes from Psalms 139, verses 1 through 6 and 13 through 18. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down and stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it. Lord, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderful and complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know that. You watch me as I was being formed in the utter utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book, Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They're the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. As we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven,
0: reading today comes from the Gospel of John chapter 1 verses 43 through 51 the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee he found Philip and said to him come follow me Philip was from Bethsaida Andrew and Peter Peter's hometown Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come see for yourself, Philip replied. And as they approached Jesus, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity how do you know about me nathaniel asked jesus replied i could see you under the fig tree before philip found you then nathaniel exclaimed rabbi you are the son of god the king of israel jesus asked him do you believe this just because i told you i seen you under the fig tree you will see greater th- Greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is in the stairway between heaven and earth. Join me in the responsive reading. Perfect light of revelation, you shone in the life of Jesus, whose epiphany we celebrate so shine in us and through us, that we may become beacons of truth and compassion, enlightening all creation with deeds of justice and mercy. O God, you spoke your word and revealed your good news in Jesus the Christ. Fill all creation with that word again, so that by proclaiming your joyful promises to all nations, and singing of your glorious hope to all peoples. We may become one living body, your incarnate present on the earth. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, all belongs to you, all came from you. Lord, and we look out and there is the, we can look out at night and we see more of the universe And we know that too came through you. And there's, it goes on beyond what we can even see. But Lord, you have entrusted things to us. You've allowed us, you've given us things that belong to you, but you do ask us to give back, to help others, to give of our our assets and our skills and our talents and help others any way we can so Lord we ask that you bless the gifts given today and that they may they may help others come to know you as we and that we can come to know you even better this we ask in Jesus name Amen
4: well uh, yeah we just uh, we we give thanks that we're recovered from COVID. Uh, as I was telling Tom, we never uh, I never had any symptoms at all. I would never have known I had it except that I've tested positive. And um, and so we praise God. Caroline had very minor symptoms. So uh, you know, go figure. Here we are, older, with with. Uh, Hard condition, and, and uh, you know we, we we just sail right through it. So the Lord knows. Well, um, today I'm um, going to do what we've been doing, which is uh, teach out of the Book of Colossians. And there's three reasons why I want to do that this morning, and I want to explain that to you. Um, first is that I believe that the primary mission of the church. Um is to proclaim the good news, and I believe that you know the very best way to do that is um, you know is a systematic exposition of the Word of God and I think that God's word is what's is so desperately needed in our culture today um, you know it's it was very tempting to me this morning to try to address the political situation and all the stuff that's going on, but then I thought about it and prayed about it and thought you know um we, what we need, what this country needs, is the gospel. What this country needs is solid teaching. Is is um, you know just immerse immersion in the Word of God, and so that's what we're doing. Um, we need to major on the majors and minor on the minors, and um, and I believe that the the major thing that this culture needs, that we need, is the people of God. It's just more of God's Word and, and being steeped in God's Word. Um, and also, we have different opinions on politics, but we do all agree on the Gospel. You know? And uh, so we're going we're gonna to continue in talking about uh, the Word. The second reason is I don't believe that I've got really enough information to be able to address What's going on? I'm still trying to understand it and process it, and I'm sure you are as well. Um, just exactly what happened with the, you know the the um, and the Capitol building and all this stuff going on in our culture. I I I don't feel I've got enough information really to uh, to address that and to understand it completely. And um, and then third reason is that I, and I mentioned this somewhat. The first one that I, I I believe it's important to build faith systematically. Um, that we you know we need that systematic um, going through God's word, that exposition of God's word, principle upon principle of learning God's word, and that's why I do what you know what we call exegetical preaching is that we you know we just go through God's word and sometimes we address issues that. Um, you know right at the moment don't don't have a, a whole lot of immediate application but then down the road somewhere we find lo and behold uh, that's exactly what we needed when we face another situation and this text today is somewhat like that in that we're going to be talking about children obey your parents all right now most of you uh, don't have to worry about that. <laughs> A little too late for that. And <laughs> we do have Andrew there. And, uh, but most of us, you know, we're, we're grown and we have our own children and so on. Um, so this is addressed both to children and to fathers. And it's not going to apply immediately to us. And so what I want to do is I want to uh, take about half of our time and talk about then what do we do now that our children are raised? Now that our children, you know, that we're we're in more of an advisory role than we are discipline role and, you know, primarily um, <clears throat> raising them up. And how do we, you know, what does God expect of us now? How can we influence the next generation and the generations after them? So I'm going to talk, um, uh, kind of expand a bit what we're going to talk about this morning. Okay. Um, and... My intention, then, is to finish the book of Colossians. And I, we should have about three more um, sermons after today. And, uh, and then we'll finish up Colossians. So let me read the text. Uh, the text is Colossians 3.20 and 21. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. And then I want to put in here as well the Ephesians passage because the Ephesians passage um, addresses the same thing but expands on it a bit. So we'll be drawing from that as we go along. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead... Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Lord, we commit this time into your hands this morning. I pray that you'll speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Each person here, that something that's said today or something that we've sung um, will touch a chord in us and um, and Lord, encourage us, rebuke us, train us, encourage us to become more like you, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, the first thing is that um, it says that children are obey their parents. Oh, we're out, we're out of business. Okay, all right. Um, and the biblical perspective, right, from the get-go, is very different from our culture. Um, the biblical perspective is that children are born as sinners. And that we, you know, the, the cultural perspective, and a, we would say a secular perspective, that uh, we see reflected in our culture is that children are born tabula rosa they're they're born innocent and it's the culture that that corrupts them and of course we as Christians we say no children are born in sin and then we are to train them into righteousness you want me to wait a second or? Okay, um, I was trying to think of a nice. <laughs> OK. Um, Proverbs 29:15 says, "The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother." Romans 3:10 through12. "As it is written, "There is no one righteous, no not one." There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. So, our perspective then is that we need to train children into righteousness. Not expect righteousness from them. We instill it in them. And that's a, just a totally different concept than what we see in our culture. Second thing we see is that the children are to obey. Um, the, the word in the Greek, is to yield to or obey or surrender to. Uh, There, to, children are to obey their parents. Now, I have to admit, the older I get, the more I like this verse. (laughs) As a kid, I didn't like it, you know. Um, You know, hey, wait a minute. Um, But the older I get, the more I see the wisdom of the Lord, of course, in in teaching us to, uh, you know, children to obey their parents and parents to nurture their children. In our culture, you know, I, you can look at all, probably every single night, you can find at least one television program that is celebrating independence. And we as a culture, we celebrate independence and um, the, the, the rebel... You know, we lift up the rebel and the one who turns out to set a new course and, and invents something that nobody thought was possible or, or captures the crook or breaks out of the mold in the organization and sets a new direction. And, and that's kind of celebrated in our culture and, uh, and in, in many Western cultures. But in our, the times that we've been uh, exposed to what we call shame-based cultures, it's exactly the opposite. Uh, in shame-based cultures, the, the terminology they use is that you pound down the peg that sticks up. And the whole idea is that children are to obey their parents. And no matter what happens, the, the children are to uh, not to bron- branch out on their own and become independent, but children are to be a part of the family, and, and not just when they're little, but as they grow up, and so it's a very different kind of, of emphasis than what we have uh, in the United States. Now, I'm not saying that we should be like that, those shame-based cultures, but I think we're, we're, we're a bit too much on the independent side. And I think we could shift a bit uh, toward this, oh, children, obey your parents and the Lord, um, as a culture. Now, certainly as, as Christians, um, <clears throat> that's what we teach. And then it says, in everything... So, remember, this is addressed to Christians. Paul is writing to, to uh, the Colossians, in, and they are Christian. And so, he says that the obedience is to be complete of those children to the parents. And, of course, if parents ask their children to do something immoral, illegal, or unbiblical, the child is to obey God rather than the parents. And we understand that. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of a given in the background. One commentator says it this way, Our text has in mind listening to one's Christian parents as wisdom to be absorbed and practiced in order to form a character shaped by love, holiness, peace, and justice. So so God uh, has us and, and teaches us as parents that our children are to be obedient to us. And I believe that children learn obedience to the Lord from their obedience to their parents. Uh, Hebrews twelve five says, but you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, my son. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline, God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And so, um, you know, so Paul here, probably Paul in Hebrews, we're not exactly sure who the writer of Hebrews is, but we think it's Paul, that he says that, that the children learn their obedience and discipline in, in toward the Lord from discipline from their parents. And I believe that there's a shift that takes place, of course, you know, as we grow then, but if we obey our parents, then we'll be more inclined to obey the Lord. Now, I was a rebel, when I, was a, when I was a kid, you know, not the whole time, but uh, I went through my period of rebellion, uh, and probably you did too. Anybody here not, not go through that? Uh, we all go, and, and there is a time when, you know, when, when we separate, where we become independent, and that's good. There's a, there's a, there's a good part of that. Um, but I believe that children learn self-discipline which is a fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit, from the discipline which they learn from their parents. <coughs> so that's what we're talking about. And then it says in Ephesians 6, 3, 6 2 and 3, Honor your father and mother, <coughs> which is the first commandment with a promise. And then he says this, <coughs> excuse me, yeah, tickle my throat, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now that, that really hits me. And how many of you have ever read a children's book that, that says that the key to long life and living well is to obey your parents? <laughs> yeah, you ever read one? And yet that's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians. He says that it may go well with you, that you'll have prosperity in your life, not material prosperity, but prosperity of the soul, and that you'll live long on this earth, are tied to your um, obedience to your parents. It comes out of uh, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Isn't that incredible? Um, That our long life on this earth is tied in with our honor to our parents. Deuteronomy 5.16, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land your Lord, the Lord your God has given you. So, you know, even in the Old Testament, The same, you know, Paul is just drawing right out of the Old Testament, particularly out of this Deuteronomy passage, and saying, if you want to have prosperity on this earth and you want to live long, obey your parents. Okay, now, most of us are now, you know, to the place where we're not obeying our parents anymore. We're, you know, we're independent now and so on. Paul also gives an admonition to fathers. He says this, fathers... Do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Now, I'd like to state right off in the beginning that there are no perfect parents. Um, All of us are in the process of becoming like Christ. None of us has arrived. And I've certainly seen over the years how many mistakes I've made with my children. All right? And your parents made mistakes with you. And because they're imperfect, and, and we turned out imperfect, and we are living then in an imperfect world. Everything is imperfect, and yet God says, um, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So I want to say that just to say this. Let's not get condemned about how what the kind of job that we did with our own children. Um, it's very easy, and I, do, I get condemned sometimes. I will, actually woke up this morning just feeling kind of condemned for you know, uh, the, the way I raise my kids, and I think we all have that. We, we, get, we come under condemnation, and I just want to encourage you that as it says in Romans 8, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and we are, you know, we are called to forgive ourselves. And realize that we are imperfect, sinful parents raising imperfect, sinful children to live in an imperfect, sinful world. And so, you know, these are ideals, and there's going there are going to be all kinds of um, departures from that ideal. But the ideal is children don't embitter, or fathers don't embitter your children. And. We need God's enabling power to be good parents. All right, none of us can do it. None of us has the ability. And the thing is, I, I always think of it this way. Your children, their main purpose in life is studying you. <laughs> and, and, you know, when they can get away with something and when they can't and what they can do and what they can't. That's the main purpose in their life. And, and so... Each child is different. And, and so we as parents then, um, we need not to come under condemnation. We did the best we could with what we had at the time. And we need to entrust those children to the Lord. And furthermore, not all anger on their part is the parent's fault. It comes naturally, especially to teenagers. <laughs> we had, uh, <coughs> we were part of a, uh, group when I was in seminary and every seminary and you have to do what they call field education or they, 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 they label it different terms but the whole idea is you know that you not only go and get the intellectual stuff in seminary and learn all those good things of theology and biblical, uh, <laughs> biblical languages and all that kind of stuff but that you also have experience in a church and so the church I served in was in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Anybody been to Gloucester, Massachusetts? Anyway, uh, way up, on the, it's right on the coast in Massachusetts. And I was part of a, an Assembly of God church, and it was, the pastor was, I just really admired him, uh, really an incredible man of God. And so I went to him and said, you know, I'd like to do my field education with him. And he said, Good, Let's, why don't you help me to teach a Sunday school class on raising children? <laughs> well, I had young kids. You know, we had, uh, the kids were, oh, about one and three at that time. And uh, maybe two and four by the time we actually uh, did that. we you know, teaching that Sunday school class. But we started through it and we were about a couple of months into this. Uh, you know, it was a lot of discussion about how we raise kids and so on. And one day I, I, I piped up and I said, you know, do you see what's happening in this, in this course? The parents with young children have all the answers, of which we were part. <laughs> we, we know how to raise kids. We've read the best books. <laughs> we, we can do it. The parents of teenagers were just sitting there dumbfounded. <laughs> they were going like, well, wait a minute, what hit me? You know, And, and it, just, that, that always, it always comes back to remind me That we think we know all the answers, but we've got imperfect kids, we're imperfect parents. We need to forgive ourselves for the mistakes we've made. But then let's go on. How do we embitter our children? There are two extremes. One is no discipline at all. The other is disciplining with the wrong goals in mind. And that's why um, Paul says, don't embitter your children. If we... If we discipline in the wrong spirit, we can bring bitterness to our children. Um, F.F. Bruce says this of this verse. He says, if children are exhorted to render obedience, parents and specifically fathers are urged not to irritate their children by being so unreasonable in their demands that the children lose heart and come to think that it is useless trying to please their children and trying to discipline them. And I would say that the foundation for discipline is that our children realize that we love them, that we're on their side. All right, that's really important, that they realize that we're on their side. And our love and our care for them is kind of like oil in a car. Uh, And that piston going up and down in the cylinder, the oil around that keeps it from scratching, you know, from the piston, from scratching the, the walls of the cylinder. In the same kind of way, our love for them and care and nurture for our children is like that oil. It, 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 you know, the same function is going on, but um, it, 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 takes, it, it solves a lot of friction. And that's where bitterness comes. It comes from that, from that friction. Love without discipline leads to anarchy. Discipline without love leads to rebellion, anger, and embitterment. As Paul says, no discipline seems to be pleasant but with the proper love, it'll have the effect it's supposed to have on the children. So what we're saying is then parents are to nurture and love their children. The the goal is not to get kids to do what we want want them to do, but it's to nurture and love them and train them into what they are to be. Uh, Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I like to think of it like a, uh, we, we have a, a tree that we planted out front. Um, we, we had some trees that we planted there, lansia, and we had them about six years, watered them, tried, took care of them. They never grew. There were two of them. It just never grew. We planted, I think, five total. And two of them were just a mess. They just... They just stayed exactly the way they were. Well, so we, we, uh, we, we had to replace the trees this last fall we did. We placed the trees. And, and I think of our training is like that tree. And I, you know, I just had to go out and put in a stake and wrap uh, tape around it so that it would, it would straighten and be straight rather than, you know, like this. And I think of it that way with, a, with, with us as parents, is that we, in a sense, we're, we're tying our children to that stake so that they will grow up to be uh, straight and right and righteous. And a commentator says this, the father who berates and embitters a child flattens that child's maturation and converts the child into anger. And that's what we're trying to avoid. And he says again, the parent's duty is in effect to live out the gospel to the child. That is, to assure their children that they are loved and accepted and valued for who they are. Not for who they ought to be, should have been, or might, if only they had tried a little harder, become. So our key then is with our love and our nurturing to, yes, discipline, but to shape those children into being what God called them to be. I had one, uh, one incredible moment when I was, uh, you know, as a father. And my daughter, Amy, um, she, she was about 16 years old, maybe 17-something. I think she was like a junior, senior in high school. And, um, and I had gone up the weekend before and um, driven up to Mount Lemon, And coming back down... There, there was a lot of black ice, and so um, and the weather hadn't changed or anything, and so she came to me, she said, well, there's a bunch of uh, my friends that want to go up to Mount Lemon." and I said, no, you can't go. And, uh, and she said something I'll never forget. Um, she said, <coughs> well, first, she was angry with me, and, you know, the typical kind of thing, and angry that I would, you know, uh, wouldn't let her go with her friends, but then she, um, uh, she came back a while later and she said, you know, Dad, I would never disobey you. Uh, you know, and I went, whoa. Okay, now that didn't last, but, 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 but it was sure nice while it lasted. <laughs> and that's what, you know, that's really what we're doing. That's really what we want to do. We want to train them so that they obey out of love and respect for us. So the goal is the development of character and wisdom in our children. Proverbs 4 says this. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. I love this verse. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. And so what we are doing then as parents is that we are training up our children so that they have Christian character and wisdom for life. So our role changes then from discipline to that of wisdom. And that's where we are today, most of us here. Okay, we, we uh, you know, we're s- stepping back now from that primary job of disciplining our children to the place of offering them wisdom and being, a, you know, in a sense, a coach. They're out there doing the work, and, and, and we're coaching them from the sidelines. We no longer have the direct responsibility of shaping our children's lives, but our role is secondary. And so I want to ask the question, as those who are imparting wisdom to our children, our grown children now, what is our role? How do we do that? Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following says this, and this is what's called the Shema. In, um, in the book of Deuteronomy. And it comes, it comes from the first word, which is Shema Yisrael. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, love the Lord with your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. I mean, listen to this. Here's how we're to to get those things to our children. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so, you know, uh, what Moses is encouraging... The parents to do then is in every waking moment, in every every way that we can, to impress on our children wisdom. And it, this is a very interesting uh, um, <clears throat> couple of verses in what's called the Shema, because the the Jews would take these. And if you have you been in uh, particularly in Orthodox Jewish homes, and they have a little uh, a leather thing on the doorpost. You ever seen that? Orthodox Jewish homes? Okay, well they have, they'll, they'll, they'll put it on the doorposts of their house and that's directly out of these verses. And the idea is, and then they put in those little pouches, they put verses of the scripture and sometimes these, these very verses in there um, on the doorposts of their house and then they would wrap, wrap them as phylacteries around their arm uh, with, a, uh, with a little leather pouch on it. And let me, let me share a story about that. Uh, Caroline and I were, we were in the Peace Corps at the time, and we went down, um, we get, the nice thing about the Peace Corps is they give you a month off that you can just go any place you want, and so we'd heard how great it was to go down to Israel, and this was in 1968, so it was a year after the Seven, days, uh, seven Day War in 1967, and we went down to Israel to pick fruit. They had a great harvest that year. And so we went down to pick fruit uh, because they didn't have enough manpower to pick the fruit. On I was on a kibbutz, kibbutz Yasur in um, in Upper Galilee, and um, and they had literally uh, orange, I mean um, lemons that were like this size, like size of grapefruit. I mean, just incredible uh, fruit harvest that year. And. We were walking down the uh, in Jerusalem. We were walking down the street one day, and some guy comes out and grabs me and grabs my arm and says, I, "I need you for a minute." And he pulled me into uh, the the synagogue, and he said, uh, "I need I need somebody for a quorum," and we need a uh, we need a quorum for a yeah. They needed a person. Yeah, they needed a person. And I said, "Well, I'm not you know I'm not Jewish," and he said, "That's all right. We just needed you know." So he said, you know, he wrapped a phylactery around my arm and then said a, you know, said a prayer. And he said, okay, you can go. <laughs> and it, but it just reminds me of this whole thing of, you know, how important it is that word of God to those, to those Orthodox Jews. And that's what, that's what uh, Paul is hearkening back to than Moses and Deuteronomy and what they did uh, at that time. So what we're saying is this that we need to pass on the torch to the next generation. Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his his commands. Okay, so we're talking about the man who fears the Lord finds great delight in the word of God. He says, his children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. So what it's saying is this, that your influence with your parent or with your uh, children, that that influence will be passed on from generation to generation. You're like an arrow that it, it is pointing into generations that will follow you and generations that will follow your children. So your righteousness then is like the point of that arrow which cuts, cuts away all the junk that they find out there and gives them, you know, gives them as you declare the word of God to them, gives them that foundation of the word of God in their lives. So what we're saying is how important it is this impartation of wisdom. So then how do we do that? First of all, we demonstrate the love of Christ in unselfish living through your life. Okay, So our, we model, we are an example to our children, to their, our grandchildren, and so on. Ephesians 5.1 Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So as we imitate God, then our children imitate us and their children imitate them. And we pass on this righteousness to the next generation. My grandfather was Matthias Turner. um, And my mom always told me this story of his, her father, who was on my mother's side. And he was the founder and first president of the Cleveland Illuminating Company. And um, invented the washing machine, was a great inventor and all that kind of stuff. Um, But... What he found was that he was taking, he was, you know, it took up all his time. And so at some point, I'm not sure how old he was at that point, but he decided he'd had enough of that, and he said, I need to concentrate on my family. And so he took the family and moved to a farm in Madison, Ohio, and raised, you know, the, and, and it was right before the Depression. And, and so they went from, you know, having plenty of, you know, they, they were wealthy. Uh, they had maids and all that kind of stuff. To living on a farm and having to fend for themselves right during the Depression. But my mom always harkens back to that and says that, that that's an example of how important family is. And that Matthias Turner, uh, you know, knew the importance of family and demonstrated that in his life. Second thing we do is we train our children and grandchildren to hear from God and to discern wisdom. So we're an example, but we also are training them to hear from God. Because the most important thing is that they develop that relationship with God, and then in that relationship, then they learn to hear from God themselves. And that's what we're trying to train them in. James 1.5 5, 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to them. Third thing is that we teach them to guard their hearts. Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So one of the things that we want to pass on to the next generation is the importance of our heart condition before God. Fourth thing is that we teach them to recognize foolish people. Proverbs two, twelve and through fifteen. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And so, one of the ways that we train up the next generation in wisdom is to teach them how to avoid foolish people and wicked people and teach them to have wisdom in choosing companionship with those who are wise. Number five, we teach them to recognize dangerous situation and take corrective steps to avoid the danger. Proverbs 22.3, a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. And I believe that the, the primary difference between a wise person and a foolish person is that the foolish person lives for today. Says, I'm just going to, I'm going to enjoy life today. The wise person is looking down the road. They're looking ahead and they're, and they're tying together what's happening today and what they do today and the results tomorrow. So we can teach... The generations, then, to be thinking ahead, What's going to happen if I do this today? What's going to happen tomorrow? Number six: train them to listen to others carefully and are willing to take advice from others. A rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes a fool. Proverbs 15:12: "A mocker resents for correction. He will not consult the wise. So one of the things we can do then is to train our children and our grandchildren to listen to others carefully, be willing to take advice. Number seven, teach them to learn from the lessons of life and to benefit from failure. Success in life is not dependent on whether you make mistakes or not. And we need to pass that on to the next generation. We're all gonna make mistakes, but wisdom in life Is and success in life is learning from your mistakes. Proverbs 15, 13. I love this one. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. And there's an Arab proverb. Listen to this. He that knows not and knows not that he knows not, he is a fool, shun him. He that knows not and knows that he knows not, he is simple, teach him. He that knows and knows not that he knows, he is asleep. Wake him. (laughs) He that knows and knows he knows, he is a wise man. Follow him. And we can be training up the coming generations in avoiding fools and following wise people. And then the last thing is that we teach our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren to hang out with wise people. I love this. This is one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Now you say, how are we going to train them? You know, to follow wise people. Well, there's a lot of great books. There's the Book of Proverbs. There's the whole Bible. There are whole. There's a whole lot of literature out there, and a whole lot of people out there, whom we can we can train them to hang out with wise people. And those that hang out with wise people become wise. Those that hang out with fools become fools. We had one young man, uh, a family, he was a um, military guy. And he and his wife, um, they were only here for like a, were they, was a year, was it two, year and a half, something like that? Two, two, okay, they were here two years. Uh, they, they just sought us out. and They said, we want to you know, we, we develop a relationship with you. And so we just got to be really close with this couple and um, spent a lot of time with them. And it was really incredible both for us and for them. And I just thought of it as, as an example that um, he who walks with the wise grows wise. And I'm not you know, lifting us up here, but I'm just saying that, that I admire young people who hang out with older people. Uh, in order to get that wisdom that, that they have. Well, in conclusion then, you and I, um, no matter where we are in life, we, we can influence the next generations. And I believe it's, it's intentional. We make an intentional choice. We are going to pass, a, pass along wisdom to the coming generations. So let's set our hearts to, uh, to make a difference in this world. This world needs it. <laughs> Amen.
2: Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little. Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, He who died. Heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin. Let his life child me. Yes, Jesus loves me.
0: Pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you have to- told us, you have instructed us to teach our children well. And Lord, part that is teach them to come to love you, to be wise. And Lord, we know that we are imperfect teachers, we are imperfect beings. But lo- Lord, Help us every time we, we try, try to um, give our children guidance or give, share maybe share a little wisdom at this time in our lives, Lord. May we do it so that they can come closer to you and that they can know that you're always there. This we ask in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. 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 Amen.